Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Well, if it's your first time at Redeemer, or maybe the, the summer travel bug has got a hold of you and you've been out for a few weeks, uh, we, are, we started a brand new series two weeks ago called Drift. And so this summer, we're just looking at the different things that pull us away from experiencing God's nearness. And so the first week, we talked about how there's an objective reality that God is never far. He's with us at all times. But the subjective experience is that sometimes it doesn't feel that way. So what are some things that kind of pull us away from experiencing God's presence? And last week, we talked about the gospel and how when we distort it, whether we transforming power that we need things away, we really dilute the message of the gospel and it doesn't have the transforming power that we need. And so we need a foolproof gospel, nothing added, nothing taken away. And today we're going to be talking about our identity in Christ. When I was a kid, I remember that I basically had to wear what my mom laid out for me to wear. You know, if I wanted to wear Umbro soccer shorts and a Michael Jordan jersey every day, that did not happen because my mom had stonewashed jean shorts a J.C. Penney logo t-shirt tucked in, exposing my braided belt. You know, and if the belt had enough access, you could fold it up and tuck it under. I don't know if you remember that style. But either way, like my braided belt, I wore what my mom wanted me to wear for years until there came a day in middle school or junior high when, when she gave me the ability to pick out my own clothes. And this is a huge event in a kid's life when you can pick out your style because you know who you want people to see you as, and this is a way to express that. And so, you know, if you want to look, if you want to be smart or athletic or you want to be artistic or fashionable or, or you know, goth or something in between, like you had your chance to display that when you picked out your clothes. And, and this in middle school, you'll see, is what I call the reinvention stage. This is when kids completely reinvent themselves from the day that school ends in summer to the time it begins. And so what you'll see is there'll be a a kid, like a boy, who has no fashion sense whatsoever. I mean, he shows up to a wedding wearing brown shoes and a black belt, just clueless. And school ends, summer happens, then when when the next school year begins, he shows up looking like Zac Efron. You're like, what happened? Like, where did you get, have you been reading GQ? Or you have the girl, just, she wears a dress and a smile every day, hair done up with a big bow, and, and, and she's just bubbly and happy, and then the school year ends, and the next one begins, and all of a sudden, her hair swooping down over her eyes, covering her dark makeup, she's wearing black clothes, you're like, what vampire series did you get hooked onto this summer? Like, and like what happened? But, the, but kids will completely reinvent themselves. And, and why do they do this? They reinvent themselves because they're like, man, that, that's who I was, but this is who I truly am. That's who people used to see me and think, but I want them to see me and think of something else. They, they wanted to reflect their identity. And so this is a search that happens from an early age, and it's always confusing because there's so many voices speaking into it, whether it's your your family or your friends or um, whether it's, it's, you know, the media that you're frequenting or movies or music or, you know, just like culture in general. Everybody's kind of answering this question, this is who you are or this is who you need to be, and it gets so confusing. and, And it'd be awesome. It'd be awesome if that stopped when you were a teenager. But whether we will admit it or not, that search for identity, those questions of like, who, who am I or, or who am I supposed to be, those follow us for the rest of our life. 
And there's seasons where we feel stable for a much longer period of time. But at the end of the day, these questions still arise with, who am I? And so today I want to answer that question, specifically with who we are in relation to Christ. So what's our identity? Who are we? All right, so if you've got your Bibles in in Colossians chapter 1, I want to start off with, we'll just call it the backdrop. Okay, so we're going to start off with the backdrop for our identity the backdrop for our identity. Look at Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 15. And if you are a Bible underliner, just take note of every time it says he is, right? So this is about the preeminence of Christ. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of God of his cross. And so the the first thing we see here on this backdrop is is who Christ is. I mean, he's the the image of the invisible God. He's the head of creation. He's the head of the church. And through his blood and the cross, he brings peace to humanity. All right, so so what also we're like, this is who Jesus is, all right? Now let's look at who we were. So that, that's, the, that's just this beautiful, glorious picture of Christ, right? Then we look in verse 21 and there's this shift. And you who once were. So we have who he is, now we have who you were. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, right? When you think of that word alienated, it means separated, all right? And then that word hostile basically means that we are enemies of God. It means that, that our sinful acts, right, our attitude, our posture, our sin nature is something that is basically a declaration of war against God. It's, a, it's an offense that would be considered high treason to him, which means it's punishable by death. And so when we look at that, that our hostility drives a wedge and separates us from God, and when we see who we were in our sin compared to who he is, that gap of separation is something that we can never bridge. That gap is something that we could never bridge on our own. And so that's what we would call the bad news of the gospel. The bad news is that we are sinners, we are hostile towards God, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, we are completely hopeless on our own. All right, so that's the bad news. The good news, though, the good news is that in Christ, we are able to say, that's who I was, but this is who I now am. Right? That's the bad news is that's who we were. The good news is that in Christ we are able to say, that's who I was, but this is who I now am. All right? So so how does God reinvent your identity? So if we're going through this reinvention, right? How does God reinvent your identity? I love the the most interesting man in the world commercials. You know, like it's it's in there, it's like, you know, um, in, in his past life, he was himself. If opportunity knocks at the door and he's not home, opportunity waits. 
He gave his father a talk. He is the most interesting man in the world, right? So let's say that you're at a dinner party and, and someone overhears the conversation you're having and they, they, they just lean into something about you and they're thinking you're interesting, like they, 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 you've captured their interest. Maybe it's a place that you've traveled. Maybe it's the job that you have. Maybe it's a friend that you have in common. But there's something about you that they're just, they're interested in. And so they lean in and they start to talk and they're asking kind of leading questions. And they just, they go, who are you? Like, who, like this is great. Like, who are you? And like, there's nothing interesting about my life. They're like, no, no, I'm so, I'm just, I'm, I'm captivated. Like, who are you? If you were asked that question, what would you use to paint that picture, right? Like, who are you? What are you going to use to paint that picture? For some people, it's their career. Maybe it's, it's like your relationship status or your social status. Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe it's like your, your, a group or different groups that you're a part of, right? We have all these different things that, that we tend to use. And the truth is that there's not one of them that can do justice to who we are. And so it's like there are all these little pieces of the puzzle. And so when they ask, who are you? We begin to kind of put our puzzle together to give a picture of, of who we are, all right? But what happens is when we go through these, like let's, let's move to adulthood, as an adult, when you feel like you've got the puzzle put together, when you feel like you can answer this question of, of who you are, like I said, the truth is, is that you might go through longer seasons where that feels stable, where it feels like that's long lasting, that there's some depth there. But the truth is, is that these questions are going to move in. They're going to move in. And what happens is life stages change, the tides rise and come in, and what you thought was so stable will eventually become just a castle made of sand. Right, and, and so you start to ask these questions like for the person who thinks they've arrived. It's like, I've done it. Like, I'm finally a partner. I'm finally this. I'm finally a dad. I'm finally a, a something else. Like, whenever you feel like I, this is, like, I've arrived. This is something that when I can hold this up, I'll feel like people will look at me and think that I'm accomplished. And, and you get there, then this question comes in and goes, is that it? Like, is that, why do I still feel unrest? Like, is that, is that it? Or for the person who, who feels no confidence, right? The person who, who feels like life is just a treadmill. They're like, I'm running and I'm running and I'm running. And like, is, is this who I really am? Or am I just trying to be who other people say I need to be? And, and those questions will start to, to mess with you. Um, Jim Carrey played, played Art Kaufman in the movie Man on the Moon. And for four months while this movie was shooting, he was in character 24-7. And so he just wouldn't break. So imagine you're, you're, you're shooting the film with Jim Carrey, playing Art Kaufman, and then the, sh the day is over and you go to dinner. And you're like, remember when you played Ace Ventura and like you did that thing where you talked with your backside? And he's like, I have no clue what you're talking about. You're like, you're, you're dumb and dumber and you did CPR on that guy and it was really funny. Like, remember, he's like, what are you talking? He, he literally would not break from his character of being Andy Kaufman. So he lived, talked, thought, and, and adopted the history of Andy Kaufman and wiped away Jim Carrey. So he was fully into this position. Then once the movie was over, he, he went through this crisis where he no longer knew who he was. 
He tried to go back to Jim Carrey, but he realized like, I'm not even sure if that's who I ever was. And he compares it to the Wizard of Oz. He goes, I feel like Jim Carrey was just this character that I had for people to see. And the truth is, is I was behind the curtain, exhausted, just pulling strings, trying to, trying to keep that up. And it was depressing. And so this, this wrecked his life because he wasn't sure, like, is this, is this who I am? Or is this just who other people want me to be? And, and, and so what happens is when we put together the, the puzzle and think we've got it all figured out, eventually we'll find out that maybe we didn't have anything figured out at all. Like what if to know who we truly are, what if we have to take the puzzle pieces away? Or what if we have to peel the curtain back to see what's really behind there? All right, so if we could take away the puzzle pieces and pull back the curtain, removing all the projections our culture uses to define people, what would we see? Or more importantly, what, what would God see? All right, if we could pull back the curtain, what would God see? Look at Colossians 1.22. There's another shift. It shifts from he is to you were, and now he has. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Let's just stop there. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. This is amazing. Reconciliation, it's bringing something back together. So we were separated from God. There was a gap that we were unable to close and Jesus closes that gap by what? By his death. So take this into consideration with, with verses 15 through 20 the preeminence of Christ. I want you guys to think about this, all right? Jesus, the God-man, all right? Fully God, fully human, is creating everything. And he's using his hands, right? Like his hands, he's, he's just throwing stars against the sky and they're scattering and staying, right? Like he is creating the heavens and the earth and, and, and water and, and, and these hands slow down in the midst of creation and, and he forms humanity with his hands and, and all of us have been formed by the hands of Christ in our, in our mother's wombs. Like, like these hands, these hands willingly submit to God's plan to rescue us. Those hands were pierced by our transgressions at the cross. Like what love that Jesus would go through that. He has reconciled us, brought us back to God by his death. Why would he do that? Like, why would, would these hands willingly be pierced for our transgressions? It says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of his life, death, and resurrection, is able to now present us before God in a new identity. I don't know if you've ever been to a conference where you listen to a speaker, right? Is that just a Christian like minister thing or are there conferences for other things? Like, I'm like, I only know Christian conference. Let's say you go to a conference on like being an eye doctor, right? Or something like, you're like, you're like, like I'm gonna listen. Like, so if someone steps up onto stage and they're about to talk to you, generally when you see someone walk onto stage, you're asking some questions. Like, who is this? 
are they worth my time? Should I listen to them? Like, you're going to need some qualifications, right? You're going to need to know, like, they're going to have to establish their credibility if you're going to give them your attention because you know that your phone is, like, right there and you're 0.5 seconds away from hopping on some type of social media and just scrolling the whole time during the whole duration of their 30-minute spiel. Like, you're like, why should I listen to them? And so as you're asking these questions, generally, either someone hosting the conference will get up or maybe there's, like, a little pamphlet that you can read about each speaker or they might even themselves, they'll get up and they'll start talking about their degrees, their, um, their research, their accomplishments, their, their experience, and all of a sudden they begin to talk and what they're doing is they're building credibility so that they can have an audience with you, okay? So let's imagine that we step off the stage before God. So we step up on stage and it's like, why should we be in God's presence? Why would we be worth his time? Why do we deserve to have his ear, right? Like on our own, like we have no room to stand, but Jesus comes out to present us and he comes out and he starts to give our qualifications. He comes out and he says, no, 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 no. They are no longer separated from you. They are no longer hostile. They are no longer evil. They are no longer sinners. They are blameless. They are holy. They are above reproach. And because of the way that Christ is now able to present us, we have the ability to come near to God's presence. And that's the good news of the gospel is that our identity changes. Like when you say like, who am I? Like who you are is you are someone that when God looks at, if you are in Christ, he doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as someone who is holy and blameless and above reproach. That's who you are. That's a piece of your new identity. Okay. And so you're able to to look at your past and say, that's who I was but this is who I now am, right? There, there is a new you and a true you. Jesus gives us a new identity, right? Jesus gives us a new identity. That's what I love the baptism of Christ. I've talked about this before. And so if you feel like I've beaten a dead horse, like just, I want you guys to get this. In Mark chapter one, Jesus shows up to get baptized, Now, his cousin John, John the Baptist, is baptizing people in the river, and it's a baptism of repentance. And so what happens is is people are coming to him, they're saying, we're sinful, we're separated from God, we need to be cleansed of our sin, And, and they get in the water, and John's like, boom, dunks them, pulls them up. Like he's not Presbyterian. He's like fully under, I'm out. Like he's, he's, he's dunking people in the river and Jesus shows up and he's like, I'm next, I call next. That's like pick up basketball at Carver. He's like, I got next, you guys. And John's like, I'm, I'm dunking people to forgive them of their sins. And if you're the savior of the world, I don't know if you, 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 I don't know, if you know this, Jesus, but you're perfect. Like you don't need to do this. And Jesus is like, no, no, I, I got to get in. Now, and this confusing until you realize what's happening. See, at the baptism, Jesus is saying, God, I want to identify with sinners so sinners can identify with me. God, I, I want to live a life where I can extend to them my righteousness and I wanna die a death where I take their sins. So he's saying, God, I wanna take their sins so they can take my righteousness. This is what we see in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see what happens when we identify with Christ 
And when we put our faith in him, there is an exchange that happens where Jesus exchanges his life for ours. And so now the way that God looks at us is totally different because he sees Jesus's life lived in our place, which means what God speaks over Jesus, he now speaks over us. And so what does God say in this, this beautiful moment of the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and the Father speaking and Jesus, the Son is in the water. God the Father says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased which means that God now looks at us because of that exchange and says, you are my beloved child and I find pleasure in you. Approval and acceptance is given to us, not from our work, but Jesus's work on our behalf. That's why I love the Lord's prayer. One of the biggest questions we ask in life is who am I? We're trying to figure this out from a very early age. And when we pray, our Father in heaven, right, we are reminding ourselves that if he's our Father, that means that we are his children. Your identity is that you are a child of God. That when God looks at you, he says, you are my beloved child. In 1 John 3.1, 1 John 3.1, we, we read this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See what kind of love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You see, this is the framework of what it means to be a Christian. This is a framework to our identity that when we think of God, the first thing that should come to our minds is Father. That when we think of ourselves, the first thing that should come to mind is that we are his beloved children. That begins to frame out for us a true picture, not the world's picture, not your picture, not your parents' picture, not culture's picture. That begins to frame a true picture of who you are in Christ and who God sees you to be, who you have been reinvented to be, that you are first and foremost a child of God. So how does this apply to us? Like, What's the gospel application of this? Here's what we, we've got to understand. As Christians, the way God sees you in Christ is totally different than the way the world sees you or than the way that you see yourself, okay? As Christians, the way that God sees you is totally different than you see yourself. And here's what happens. When we believe wrongly about who we now are, it pulls us away from experiencing God's nearness. You see, when we begin to put our hope in lesser identities, when we begin to define ourselves in different ways than what God has defined us as, it pulls us away from experiencing God's nearness. There's, I don't know if you guys remember the movie Cool Runnings. I referenced it to Chris today, and he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Cool Runnings is about the first Jamaican bobsled team. Okay, and now, now in this movie, you have one of, the, one of the teammates has no confidence, Junior. And then you have Yule, who's like the big, strong guy. And at one point, he, Yule grabs Junior and pulls him to the bathroom, and he says, look in the mirror and tell me what you see. He's like, I see Junior. You know, he's like, he's like you want to know what I see? I see pride. I see power. I see, I'm not going to complete it. All right, but he, he goes on. And then, and then Junior's like, you really see all of that? 
And he's like, yes, but it doesn't matter what I see. What do you see? Now look in the mirror again and tell me what you see. And he's like, I see pride. I see power. And like, right? And it's like, so when you look in the mirror, right? Like, who do you see? Right? Or more importantly, if God's behind you, who does, who does God see? You see, when we look in the mirror, some people look in the mirror and they, they have this false confidence. Like some people look in the mirror and, and they, they feel like, you know what, I feel like I've kind of made it. Like I, feel like I feel like I'm good. I feel like I know who I am. And like I said, that can be a false confidence if it's anything other than Christ. All right, so I want you to imagine this. Let's say you have the AT&T um, guy that's been in marketing. He's with the company for 25 years. Right, he's, he's climbed the ranks. He's running whole campaigns with advertising. And this, this guy has made it. And throughout his tenure at AT&T, people, other companies keep trying to pry him away. But AT&T just keeps sweetening the pot. And so he, he gets to travel the world. He's flying first class. Like he's going to the Delta Lounge and like getting the cool stuff, like the free shower and meal. And like he's, he's made it. And like other, like, He's the conference speaker. People are like, come and tell us about this. And he's, he's showing the research that he's done and, and how he used this campaign to reach this group and this one to reach that one, how he's engaging. And just, this guy has made it, all right? What happens when he gets laid off? What happens when AT&T restructures themselves? And then he said things like, no, 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 like it's, it's fine, it's fine. Like all these other companies had tried to get at me the last few years. And so he's knocking on those doors. And all of a sudden, none of those doors are opening because they're saying, look, we can get someone with 15, 20 years less of experience to do the same job for a fraction of the cost. And, and he's all of a sudden, th- this identity begins to, to fall. And he's like, okay, the mortgage keeps coming in. Like for my house, the lake house mortgage keeps coming in. The, the boat payment keeps coming in. My kids' call of tuition keeps coming in. That my daughter's wedding next summer, the, that, that, that is still coming. And, and all of a sudden you realize that he's like, I, I built myself on this, this thing that was temporal. And, and all of a sudden, like it, it did have a natural end. And I thought that wouldn't happen until I was 63. But like now it's collapsed in front of me. And all of a sudden, this guy doesn't know what his purpose is what his calling is. He feels like he has no direction in life. So if you, if you look in the mirror and your confidence is anything other than Christ, know that that is temporal. It will eventually either collapse or come to its natural end. That, that's not a lasting identity. That's not a true identity that can give you worth. But other people look in the mirror and they see the exact opposite. Some people look in the mirror and they just go, I feel worthless. I'm a horrible dad. I'm a horrible mom. I'm a horrible brother. I'm a horrible son. I'm a horrible daughter. Like, I'm, like I, I, I feel like I'm not good enough at anything. I feel like I, just, I keep letting people down and my track record is just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Like I, I have no future. And I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it. So the, other people just look in the mirror and they see no confidence, right? Because they're, lo- they're looking to themselves. And, and so what does God see though? When God looks in the mirror, when he stands behind you and says, this is what I see. This is what I want you to see of yourself. Flip, flip over to 1 Peter 2, right? The first and foremost thing I want you to know is that you are a child of God, okay? But that's just scratching the surface. Scripture is filled with you are's, 
okay? You are in relation to your identity. But look, look at this. This is one of my, my favorite verses in relation to your identity in Christ. It says in verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You can just add that you are to each one of those. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When you remember that you are a chosen race, remember that you are a child of God. When, when you look at what it means to be a royal priesthood, remember that God looks at you and sees you as a holy one, someone that he has set apart. He sees you as a saint. That means that when God looks at you, he no longer sees a sinner. He sees a saint that has been set apart for his service. When you see a holy nation, Remember that you're not alone. You have been brought into a new family. You are an integral part of a new family that God has created. When you look at that you are a people for his own possession, remember that you are someone that God thought worth pursuing. You are someone that God said, I want to pursue them. They are worth my pursuit. When you look at that, those who are called, those who may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, like that means that you are God's mouthpiece. You are someone that God has chosen to speak through. When you look at the fact that you were called out of darkness into marvelous light, remember that you are saved, that you are forever secure in God's love and grace. Like, and like I said, this is just scraping the surface of the identity you have been given in Christ. You see, the most important thing about you isn't what you think or what others think. The most important thing about you is what God says of you. God says you are holy and blameless and above reproach. Let's recap this real quick. All right, just to, to recap what we talked about. From a very early age, we begin this search for identity. And from our teenage years to our adult years, there are many voices that are speaking into that. And we have to constantly remember that the way God sees you is different than the way you see yourself. The way God sees you is different than the way the world sees you. In short, the most important thing about you isn't what you say or what others say, it's what God says. And God looks at you and says that you are his child. So how do we move forward with this? How do we move forward? What do we, what do we take from this? Well, if a teenager doesn't find their identity, right? If they're, they still, they're, they're searching, like they go from like tight jeans, redneck, to like baggy jinko, like raver doing things with colors, like to, to like preppy, something in between. Like if, if, they're, if they don't figure out who they are, when they enter their 20s, they enter a stage that's known as delayed adolescence. And in delayed adolescence, you might look like an adult and you might need to be carrying the weight and responsibility of an adult, but you're still living like a teenager. Still living like a teenager. In the same way, if we don't figure out who we are in Christ, we will experience spiritual delayed adolescence where we waver back and forth between seasons of like, I know God loves me to seasons of, I think he loves me to seasons of, I'm not 
sure. And we just kind of go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and the truth is that if you don't find your identity in Christ, you're robbing yourself of experiencing his nearness. Right? If you're falling, if you're feeling distant from God, it could be that you're currently living in a false identity. So if we want to come back to shore, if we feel like we're drifting down the beach from God, if we want to come back to shore, it starts by seeing yourself as God sees you and knowing yourself as you're known by God. Let me ask you this question before we move into a time of communion. How does God feel about you right now? How does God feel about you right now? Let me read you what I, I wrote this down in my journal today and I've been resting on this this whole morning in relation to that question. How does God feel about you? Let me speak, this has been spoken over me and I wanna speak it over you. God loves you with a depth, persistence and intensity beyond imagination. This never changes. It never alters to the slightest degree. It's absolutely unconditional, unlimited, and unimaginably extravagant. You are a beloved child of God. Rest in that this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the identity that you have given us in Christ, which is an identity we will grow into and explore and cherish and enjoy until you call us home. But God, secure us in that. Help us not to hope in lesser things. And God, let that be our deepest peace, knowing that when you look at us, you don't see us for our failures or our shortcomings. You don't see us even for our best successes, but you see us as those who have been given, those who have received the perfect righteousness of Christ that you see us and declare that we are holy and blameless and above reproach before you. Because of that, we are given an audience with the creator of the universe and we are forever held in your love and grace. God, that's good news. Lead us to live lives of worship in response of that. It's in your holy name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.